Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. The numbers on medical debt in the U.S. are staggering. Around 100 million Americans have healthcare debt. Together, they owe at least $140 billion. And the impacts can be devastating. Being driven from their homes, you know, having to think twice about bringing their children to the doctor, the amount of suffering out there, it's hard to overstate. Today, we talk with a journalist who spent the last year chronicling the problem of medical debt and a researcher who's digging into solutions. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. The thing that I think distinguishes medical debt is that it is so fundamentally at odds with the Hippocratic principle of healthcare of doing no harm that I, I think it, it just cries out to be kind of exposed for what it is. Noam Levy has been covering healthcare for more than a decade, first at the Los Angeles Times and now as a senior correspondent for Kaiser Health News. For the last year, he's been the lead reporter on a major series on medical debt from Kaiser and NPR called Diagnosis Debt. Noam says people usually think about medical debt as a hospital or doctor's bill that goes unpaid for so long that debt collectors get involved and it ends up on someone's credit report. I think that's a fine definition, but it significantly kind of undercounts just how many people are burdened with medical debt. So for example, if I go to the doctor's office and I put my bill on my credit card and I don't pay off that credit card, that's going to show up as credit card debt, but that's medical debt. Um, if I go to the hospital and I get put on a payment plan where I'm you know, paying my five dollars or $10,000 bill off over the next three years or something, that's not going to get recorded as medical debt, but I'm in debt for medical care. Even if I borrow from my friends or I borrow from my uncle or my parents, I'm in debt for medical care. What we essentially have now is a system that is creating debt on a industrial scale. When you say on an industrial scale, Noam, how big is this problem? Well, what we found is that 100 million people in this country have some kind of healthcare debt. The burden falls especially hard on certain Americans. Black Americans have much more medical debt than white Americans do. People in the South have a lot more medical debt. But you know, almost half of Americans in households making more than $90,000 have had healthcare debt in the last five years. 60% of people who have health insurance uh, have had medical debt. So it is hard to overstate the extent of misery 
that's out there. Some studies have linked this debt to a greater likelihood of having chronic pain, depression, early death, and attempting suicide. Surveys show that it leads people to avoid care, like skipping prescriptions, especially among people of color and people with disabilities. But there's limited research on whether medical debt directly causes people's health to deteriorate. Norm, is it typical for people to be experiencing the misery that you described, or is it more typical for someone to be like, yeah, I owed a couple hundred bucks for a couple months or a couple of years, but it really, at the end of the day, wasn't that big of a deal? I mean, it's sort of both. You know, about a third of people who have medical debt owe less than $1,000. But a quarter of people, you know, owe, I think, more than $5,000, more than half, say they've had to make a difficult sacrifice, like using up all their savings, moving in with friends and family, or losing their homes. So I don't think it's hyperbole to say that there's a shocking amount of misery out there. You've talked with, I think, like more than 100 people in medical debt over the last year. Is there someone whose story really captures what you've been telling us, that like medical debt has become this permanent feature in the U.S. healthcare system and the misery that it inflicts. I talked to a a family in in Phoenix earlier this year that really stuck with me. My name is Aaron Buck. Um, I'm married with three kids. I have a 13-year-old I remember I could hear his family in the background. I mean, you know, he's got three kids running around and I'm calling him around dinner time. He's wrapping up his work uh, selling health plans over the phone we're always really nervous to call or even try and go to the doctor because I know I'm going to end up with a huge bill. So the reason I called Arian actually was because he had said he had been denied medical care as a result of his medical debt. He had developed a intestinal infection and he had been very sick. It was really concerning. Um, it wasn't able to keep anything down. I wasn't able to... Um, use the bathroom properly. And I think his wife actually called their doctor's office and said, my husband's been on his back for the last two days and word, can we bring him in to get him looked at? However, I was denied uh, due to me owing them less than $100, actually. The doctor's office had said, you know, you've got outstanding balances here. You can't come here. If it's really, If you're really worried, go to the emergency room. Finally got me there to the ER to go get seen. The doctor basically told my wife and me that if I hadn't come at that time, I probably would not have made it. The irony, of course, was that as a result of that trip to the emergency room, the medical debt that they had got increased by another several thousand dollars. So the fact that his physician's office wouldn't see him made a medium-sized problem that much bigger. What are you thinking as you're hearing this story, as, as this problem he's got is getting compounded? When I heard his story, I, you know, I'm shaking my head thinking, good Lord. Uh, I mean, what, 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 kind of a, what kind of a system do we have where this is the way that patients get treated over a few hundred dollars? As head shaking as it was, Noam also knew it was pretty common. A Kaiser Family Foundation survey found one in seven people with medical debt say they've been denied care because of it. Noam says when he last spoke with the Bucks this summer, they owed more than $50,000, and they were filing for bankruptcy. 
This debt, Arian said, has made it hard for him to be the dad that he wants to be. It makes me feel terrible because I can't show them the things that I want to show them or take them to the places that they want to go. The thing that really stuck with me is this, this feeling that because of owing money for medical care, he's unable to provide much for his kids beyond, as he said, a roof over their heads. We've had teachers who send home things saying, hey, you guys need this, and we don't have the extra money to go buy it. We've stopped going on family trips. They even go to the mall. <laughs> and small things like that makes you feel like a failure, to be honest. To hear a parent, you know, talk about being unable to provide even really basic things, that's hard under the best of circumstances, but to think that the healthcare system's doing that to somebody, something really, really wrong about that. And that, I think, is what really struck me. Did you say to him, what do you think, Aaron, that this is the healthcare system that's doing this to you? Yeah, I, I, I usually ask patients at the end of interviews that I do with them, sort of, what's your takeaway? Arian was, I thought, very, very eloquent about saying this isn't the way a healthcare system should treat people. That's just not right. And I feel like that should be something that we all, not just me, but everyone should be able to at least be able to get to a doctor when they feel ill and not have to worry about have coming out of it on the worst end of the stick. You said you like to end your interviews asking people about big takeaways. Any big takeaways you'd like to share with us? Medical debt is very complicated for, for, for many different reasons. But at its core, it's really not complicated at all. Half of Americans don't have $500 in the bank to cover an unexpected medical bill. The average deductible on a health plan that you get from your employer is north of $2,000 now, more if you got a family plan. I mean, it doesn't take a Nobel Prize in economics to understand that, that if any trip to the hospital is going to generate at least a $2,000 bill, there's going to be debt. And ultimately, that's a problem for hospitals, it's a problem for doctors, and it's a problem for taxpayers. All right, Noam. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on Tradeoffs. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. When we come back, we ask one medical debt researcher about possible solutions to this pressing problem. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, 
an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. To help us think through what kinds of policies could help the 100 million Americans struggling with some $140 billion in medical debt, people like Arian Buck, we called up UCLA's Wes Yin. I'm an economist and I focus on issues of consumer finance, inequality, and healthcare. Wes is a part of a research team that spent the last several years trying to better understand the scope and impact of medical debt. Their work provides some of the best insights that we have into how different solutions could actually shake out. One forthcoming paper looks at the idea of canceling debt. The team found that when a hospital wiped out what the patient owed and temporarily reduced how much patients had to pay, those patients became much more likely to see their doctor, get important screenings, and fill their prescriptions. It turns out, though, that the effects that we observe are short-lived. Within six months, patients who had their debt forgiven were back to getting less care, no better able to afford it than they were before. Wes says this suggests to him that getting rid of someone's medical debt might help in the short term, but it's really more of a band-aid than a fix. I think that a big distinction here is the difference between canceling medical debt and avoiding medical debt before it happens. Canceling medical debt that's occurred is a one-time cancellation. It doesn't necessarily impact the future debts that may occur in the future. Wes says a better way to protect against future medical debt is to make sure people have good insurance. He and his colleagues released a major paper in JAMA last year that found that medical debt dropped far more in states that expanded Medicaid. I think what was surprising to me was the the size of the effects and just how pronounced they were. In the states that expanded Medicaid, the amount of debt basically was halved. And in places that didn't, it was essentially unchanged. Like the hundreds of other studies showing the positive impacts of Medicaid expansion, this finding has not convinced conservative lawmakers in the final 12 states to get on board. And West notes that expanding Medicaid only helps some people. Medicaid expansion will certainly help the individuals who are eligible for Medicaid, but what about the people who are right above Medicaid? What about the people who have employer-sponsored insurance that have big deductibles? And so what are the public policies that we can do to also not only expand access to insurance, but also to improve the coverage and quality of, of plans that people can now afford? There's more data to come from Wes and his collaborators. By the end of this year, they hope to publish what could be their most illuminating study yet, a randomized controlled trial evaluating the impacts of canceling medical debt. Since 2017, the researchers have been following two groups of people with medical debt, one group that was randomly assigned to have their debt paid off, and another that would continue to carry their debts. We are then able to compare the individuals who have randomly received the debt abolishment to those who did not receive it and track their outcomes over time. We are trying to understand the impacts of the medical debt abolishment on mental health, physical health, 
utilization, as well as their ability to buy their basic needs. Wes says this study should, for the first time, help clarify if medical debt actually causes people's health to get worse, their physical, mental, and financial health. All the attention on medical debt in recent years has led to a flurry of state and federal policies being enacted to help us understand how effective they are likely to be. We have asked Wes to play a little game with us that we are calling Break That Policy! Now, the rules of this game uh, are pretty simple, Wes. Uh, I'm going to read off a policy, and you're going to tell me on a scale of 1 to 10 how big of a dent you think it's going to make in the medical debt problem. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. Count me in. Okay, and I just also want to be clear to the audience out there, we are not making light of the medical debt problem. It is serious and it is real, but we also want to talk about dense policy things in a way that are going to be easy to understand and follow along here. So again, Wes, let's start with the more than 20 states that have laws requiring hospitals to offer free care to poor patients or limiting certain collection tactics. Wes? All right. Well, for this one, I think it's a two. It's not out of lack of effort or good intentions. It's just that a lot of states really aren't clear about how much is required in financial assistance. It's also really difficult to enforce. So I'm going to give it a two. What about these two policies from the Biden administration? First, the administration's going to take medical debt out of consideration when deciding whether to give someone a loan, like for a small business or a house. Break that policy! So it's like a doctor treating a disease that's already there. It's not preventative. But we know that when people have debt, it affects their credit scores, affects their abilities to get uh, loans. It raises their interest rates. So if that's implemented well, that really limits the negative impact that medical debt has on people's abilities to get federal loans. So that's a good thing. So I'm going to give that a six. Okay. So let's talk about the second Biden policy. They plan to use data on hospital debt collection practices to decide which facilities get federal grant dollars. Wes? You know what? That's the big wild card for me. All the devils are in the implementation details. You know, if they don't really enforce using this for potential grant making to those hospitals, then it may not have a lot of power there. But at the very least, having the federal government get more data on debt collections practices, the amount of debt that's held by hospitals, really has the potential for some big changes down the road. So I'm going to give that a six also, but I'm going to give that a slight edge uh, just for its potential. Right. And, and and the more information you have, the easier it is to ultimately craft policies that are responsive to the problem. Exactly. Okay. So let's move on to Congress, which bans surprise out-of-network medical bills through the No Surprises Act. Wes, you know what I'm going to ask next. Break that policy! Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm of two minds about this one. It's not a really big source of medical debt, but it really is one of the more galling sources of medical debt. Emergency department spending is about one-tenth of all hospital spending. And the surprise billing addresses, you know, just a small part of the emergency department 
billing. So this gets rid of that, which I think is great, but it doesn't solve, you know, a bigger source of the problem. So let's, let's give it a five overall. Excellent. Okay. A five. So we've got one more for you to rank Wes starting next year in 2023, the three biggest credit reporting agencies say that they're going to remove unpaid medical debts under $500 from people's credit reports. That could be as much as 70% of medical debt currently on credit reports. For the last time, Wes. Rank that policy. You know, I'm really uh, bullish on this one as well. Having medical debt can impact someone's credit score, which affects their interest rates and ability to borrow. It may even affect uh, employment decisions and rental decisions. So anything that we can do to, to dampen the negative effects of having the medical debt is a good thing. So I'm going to give this one a six. A six. Okay. Wes, thank you so much for being our first ever contestant on Rank That Policy. Great. Thanks for having me. It has been a joy. Wes says to really go after medical debt, policymakers must address what he considers the root causes, high medical prices and people's inability to afford good health insurance. That, he says, will take things like raising the minimum wage, more government support for health insurance, slowing down healthcare mergers, and maybe capping prices. The most salient point, medical debt is a pernicious and widespread problem that demands attention. To learn more, visit our website where we have links to additional research and the entire KHN and NPR series, Diagnosis Debt. You'll find it all at tradeoffs.org. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. For seriously ill patients and their families, hospice and palliative care promise a gentler, easier path to the end of life. But data show fewer black Americans choose that path. If this is the gold standard of care and people like me, black people, are refusing this care, I wanted to understand why. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Trade-Offs, don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone else about it. A loved one, colleague, the person you're sitting next to on the bus. Better still, leave a rating or a review wherever you subscribe to us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One. The Trade-Offs team is producers Ryan Levy and Alex Olgan, editor Kate Cahan, executive director Jessica Silverman, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Tradeoffs coverage of healthcare costs is supported in part by Arnold Ventures and West Health. Additional thanks to Aaron Fusse Brown, Jack Cardinal, and Stephen Rouser. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Heather Howard and Gavin Stetcher. Our media partner is Side Effects Public Media, based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Scan Foundation, the Better Care Playbook, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the Sozose Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. 
The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 